1: the corks on the champagne. The 2020 NFL season has officially begun. There is a multitude of news, especially, believe it or not, surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals when it comes to free agency, their roster, and all kinds of updates. We will get to that. We'll talk about and break down the deals and departures, and we'll talk about what's ahead for the team as free agency rolls on on this Wednesday, the first official day of the 2020 NFL calendar. Whew. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I'm Anthony Kazenza. You might you might know who I am at this point. You probably know my my co-host, John Sheeran. John, how you doing with this, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, semi-quarantine, semi-lockdown? Uh, at least we've got some NFL news to keep us busy at this point with all this stuff going on, right? There's a
0: global pandemic happening, and... Of all teams to make waves and free agency, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. So, I mean, it must really be the end of the world,
1: I guess. Uh, That's where we're at. at. So, we'll
0: we'll roll with the punches
1: here. And and I got to say this, and, you know, I know we usually do a mic drop thing at the end of the show to kind of close it out. I do want to say this, okay? I know this, the last few days, maybe even a week or so plus for some of you, depending on where you reside, has been tough. Um, both, in you know, health, sports, scariness, all kinds of stuff. John, not only tonight, but the past two days in a row, I I took the air just to kind of do a little bit of brief updates on free agency, which by the way, we'll get to in just a second, just a little checklist and reminder reminder for everybody where we're at. But I just want to say thank you because there, there are a lot of people that have been tuning into this show as we record live. There's a lot of interest in not only our show but just the Cincinnati Bengals in general and what they've been doing which is really refreshing and I know it's a weird time for people maybe you are bored and maybe that's why you're paying attention a bit more to us but I just gotta say I think it's very cool that you guys I mean I'm seeing a lot of hey who day good day hey there guys you know Mike Donahue I know him well from uh, at least virtually I know Mike well so hey Mike Others that are familiar faces, I just want to say thank you for tuning into this show and the other shows across the the Cincy Jungle platform because uh, it, we're giving you some stuff, some material, and it's given us things to do. We we know you could be doing other stuff, but you're tuning into this program, and I just want to say a quick thank you, John. I don't know if you want to say anything else as well, but I know I just know it's a weird time, and I can't thank our listeners enough for listening to our show, tuning in, and all of that. Sports are an escape. It's escapist it's, it's
0: reality TV. And when they're not on, you got to get creative, I guess. So I'm, I'm glad that the team and that we cover for this podcast on a weekly basis is giving us some new things to talk about in a time where it's it's truly unprecedented. So uh, everybody who's watching and tuning in or listening to after the fact, keep hanging in there. We're all thinking about you wherever you are in, in this country or around the globe. Um, we'll get through this.
1: Yep. Yep. We, we will. And, uh, you know, if boredom is the worst thing we've got to, we've got to deal with, you know, there are bigger tragedies in life, but thank you to all of you for tuning in live, for checking out the show, listening to the show. As always, you can get the show in a number of audio platforms. I say it every time and multiple times a show, but I'll remind you again, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google play megaphone, and iHeartRadio are among the many platforms that you can Get this program. You can also get the videos on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to all those platforms, however you want to watch or listen to the program. All of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com, which, by the way, that website is a treasure trove of information, news, analysis, opinions on the Cincinnati Bengals, their moves, etc. Okay, John, let's do a – enough of the sappiness, right? Um, yeah. Let's do kind of a rundown, and I, I am sure probably to – Miss something here in terms of a deal. I'm going to try and do this chronologically. We'll, we'll kind of go just update everybody in case you've missed something over the past three days. We'll update you on some things. We'll give you numbers and whatnot for these. So bear with us. First day, Monday, when the legal tampering period started, um, and I may rely on you on some of these um, numbers. For for some of these numbers, et cetera, John, if you don't mind. But the Bengals' their first big move, what and predictable one was they franchise tagged AJ Green. That is about at about eighteen million, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was their big one. The other predictable one, but the what was not predictable is maybe the amount of the restricted free agents that they tendered and at what level. Uh, they hung on to Brandon Wilson at the original. All guy, all four of their eight guys were original round tenders. So Brandon Wilson, who was at the sixth round tender, uh, the Bengals have a first right of refusal there if there is some sort of offer sheet signed there. And then the rest of the guys were undrafted guys: Ethan Carter, Josh Tupo, and uh, who am I missing there? The, the Alex Redmond. They. Oh, how could I forget? Um, <laughs> so all of the undrafted guys there. Um, you know. Those guys were all tendered, um, somewhat predictable, and that's that's what, kind of what happened on the first day. And then John, we all well, you you maintained your cool a little bit more for the for the ensuing day. Um, I was I was not as chill as you <laughs> for the second part of Monday and into the first part of Tuesday. You you were very zen like, my friend. It was all right. So first of all, we were five for five in terms of
0: the, the guys who were brought back or when, when we did this preview. That's so, right. You're right.
1: Yeah, yep. to pat on the back
0: for that. Yep. Um, yeah. Like I feel that the local media, we did collectively a decent job of trying to translate what the Bengals meant when they said they were going to be more aggressive, because I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody should have expected them to go out and, and agree, to, agree to contracts that they've never had before. It was always about, and at least in my mind, being more aggressive and where free agency is at right now when free agency is actually beginning with the league year is beginning and you're starting to see some smaller more manageable contracts um get get signed up i i thought that that is what they were meaning in terms of being more aggressive so when you know you saw all these contracts with vast amounts of guaranteed money going off the books and you're like well why aren't the Bengals doing anything why aren't they being more aggressive like i i didn't think that they were that's what they really meant when they said they were going to be more aggressive um in in terms of what they like to do financially when they, you know, bringing guys in in the unrestricted free agency, that was never what, you know, that was never what they were intending to do in in terms of what I at least translated from everything that was being said from Duke Tobin. So there was a lot of miscommunications in terms of expectations of what people expected them to do, specifically at certain positions. And we can talk about, you know, linebacker and offensive line in that regard as well. But yeah, like the, the first day, the first 24 hours of the legal tampering period, there was maybe one or two contracts that I think, would have fit what the Bengals were probably looking to do. One of them was Nick Kwakowski, K- who the linebacker who signed with the Raiders. He signed for like three years, 21 million. That was like the one contract that I think Bengals fans should have been upset about the Bengals not matching. And apparently, according to reports, they were in on, on, on trying to get him signed. So e- even still- And, like, and
1: Joe Schobert, apparently.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and Joe Schubert signed for like 53 million. And apparently they were, they were in on- thinking about matching matching for that or thinking about upping the jaguars but they decided they weren't going to overvalue him for that. So, yeah, like there were most of the vast majority of those contracts were contracts that Bengals fans should not have expected, you know, them to even come close to matching. And then out of nowhere, even even after the showbird um, you know, fiasco ended, it was less than an hour and the Bengals made absolute history.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll let you kind of I'll, I'll let you be the bearer of good news, but I'll say this, the thing, to, to tee it up for you, the thing that I really liked about the ensuing moves you're going to talk about is the pivot, the immediate pivot this team made. Instead of crawling into a shell and saying, you know what, we didn't get these guys. Now we're not going to spend a lot of money. We're going to just kind of dumpster dive a little bit, and that's where we're going to go. Instead, John, they pivoted within, it seemed like an hour uh, of some of these linebackers get, coming off the board. They pivoted, and big news hit. Right, and it was Kwiatkowski, showbert Those were the targets at linebacker.
0: When they realized that they couldn't get either of them, it, it, it was basically, I think Paul Dana Jr. said it in his article um, after this all, all of this went down. Once they realized that they couldn't get showbert, they pivoted their direction towards, okay, if we're not going to get one of the best linebackers, if we're not going to get a starting linebacker, we're going to focus our attention on some, on some other guys. And apparently, DJ Reader was one of their top agent targets entering the soft season. They've had their eyes on him for weeks. And out of nowhere, it seemed, they made him the highest-paid nose tackle in the NFL. The Bengals signing a free agent during the legal tampering period and making him the highest-paid position, highest-paid player at his position is, like, 20 counts of unprecedented that even for a time like this where everything in the world is, is going mad, it still floored me. My legs were shaking when I was trying to write it, break the news on the Cincy Jungle. Like, it, the, the, the size of the contract is unprecedented for the Bengals. But even that... He is a really, really good player. He is worth every penny of that contract. And the $53 million is not the number that we need to concern ourselves. We have yet to see the actual you know, intricacies of the financials of the contract. I think Jeff Hobson um, alluded to his cap hit being around $10 million for this year. His signing bonus is still unknown at this point. So the guaranteed money is not known for that contract. But it just eclipsed, I think, the value that J- Javon Hargrave uh, signed when he signed with the Eagles. He signed at about $13 million per year. Um, Reader is about just over 13.2 million a year, so he broke the market for that. But this guy's not just a no tackle man. He played 66, 66% of his snaps last year during his best year in Houston, defending the B gap. So that's that's your three tech, your four I. That's that's the same position that Geno Atkins played. But the idea here is not to just have a you know a guy who you can plug in a nose tackle and, and just keep him there. He's a guy you can move all around the on the on the defensive line. So yeah, they paid a lot of money for a nose tackle, but he's a nose tackle that like, can do multiple things. He's a great a great run stopper, one of the best run stoppers in the NFL. But he can also you know provide some pressure in, in against the pass as well. He, I think he had thirty six total pressures in, in for Houston's defensive line on, on the defensive line with JJ Watt. Uh, he only had a handful of sacks, but he ended up having his career high in quarterback hits as well. So he's really coming into his own at only 25 years old, and that 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 is a talent that you go after in free agency. That is a talent that you go after with a contract of that magnitude. That is a deal that we wanted to see the Bengals make for so long because not only is it, is it expensive in bringing in a quality player, but it's a smart deal for the for the t- for the caliber player that that they that that they are acquiring, and it also fills in it also fills in you know, a need for what they had on the roster previously, because Andrew Billings, he's a decent player. He's a good young player in his own right. And he's going to make a team happy for whoever signs him. But Reader's just so much, so much better than him in in terms of what he does well. And that's saying something for what Billings is. So all in all, it's the best free agent signing in the history of this team. And it happened less than an hour after we thought, you know, everything was going to be the same because they missed out on all the starting linebackers.
1: Yeah. So, so DJ Reader, one of the best players overall, in free agency that was available probably by, by pro football focus standards. He was the number two interior defensive lineman that was available in free agency. When do you ever hear the Bengals do that? I mean, it's just like, wow, you know, uh, elite player, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of years left in him, right? He's, he's just 25. He's really kind mm-hmm. of coming into, he's, they're getting a guy that is in the, his prime. That's, that's a, a, and he's a good player, who was in his prime I'm put up for those of you watching live, you get to see John's beautiful face simultaneously, not only on the video feed, but on his Twitter account, you see the snap counts, uh, you know, defensive tackle, nose tackle, defensive end in terms of the spots he played for the Houston Texans. That's the, that's the beauty of this guy. He's, he's six, three, six, four. I believe he's uh, close to 350 pounds. I think he's in the three forties and look at, look at where you can maneuver him around up front. And, and this move, if you get a Ryan Glasgow back, who, by the way, is an effective player when he's healthy. The problem is he just hasn't been healthy. But if you get a Ryan Glasgow back, you know, you've got Hubbard, you've got Lawson, you've got, you know, maybe a, a Derek Wolf coming in. Uh, you know, they've been sniffing around edge rushers, the early part of free agency. What, what, is, what is this team like? They like versatility, they like guys that can do multiple things, and a lot of teams like him, like that aspect. But that's what Reader, he's not just a big guy. Unfortunately, I, I liked Andrew Billings. I think you did too as a football player. He really showed improvement. He's far more limited into what he can do than what DJ Reader can do. That's that's right. the bottom line. And you can move Reader around, he's not a guy you keep on the field for only one down, maybe two downs. He is a guy you can put out there for multiple downs. multiple spots so dj reader the big you know the crown jewel of the Bengals' free agency period thus far then john not too shortly after not too not too long after that i mean you got trey wayne's the cornerback one of the bigger names on the market i think he was top four top five by pff standards in terms of available corners not not an all-around shut down corner but high-end athleticism high-end speed decent size physical guy and a guy that'll help out in the run this team wanted to to clamp down on the run as weird as it sounds for a cornerback you know to cover a cornerback to help out in that respect that's what they want out of this defense they need to stop the run this division likes to run the football right I mean Pittsburgh runs runs the ball with no matter who they have back there Cleveland has Nick Chubb you've got the the multiple look offense of the Baltimore Ravens uh, you got to be able to stop the run in this division. And even if it's from a cornerback perspective, not necessarily the trait you specifically look for, but he has shown high ability there. You know, I think you put, you probably put him at a Drake Kirkpatrick plus, especially with his age um, that may not blow everybody's hair back, but, an upgrade is an upgrade. We're going to talk more about Dre Kirkpatrick later. You've got some interesting information on that as well, John. But Trey Wayne signs for the Bengals. Uh, you know, another three-year three, de- three year deal there. And, you know, uh, big news there. We'll talk more about the pros and cons of that deal going forward. Then on the departure side, and, and let me know if I forget anybody, you had cornerback Darquez Denard shortly after the signing of Trey Wayne's. Really kind of a minimal deal. Uh, that mm-hmm. we reported three years, thirteen point five million, I believe, was the number there. So that that was a little surprising. Bengals decided not to hang on to him. Um, you had uh, um, Clayton Feglyum was the first. Clayton fedgelin was the first domino to fall. He uh, he went to Miami. Who Miami's just been stockpiling players. Um, so you know those two those two departures there um, they were kind of the most notable. Uh, I, am I missing anybody? Uh, we've, we've covered quite a bit. I, th- I think that's uh, most of pretty much what's happened so far, as we said here right. tonight. Um, yeah, right. Ter- so in terms of the Bengals transactions or departures.
0: Those were the two un- unrestricted free agents that they had leave, but they also cut a couple guys as but well. Th- they, there you um, go. Yep. Right. So um, sh- sh- the day after they signed Trey Wayne's, they released BW web earlier this morning on Wednesday morning, uh, they saved about two and a half million dollars of cap space. Um, surprisingly did not designate him as a post June first um, cap release right. but a good fr- good friend of the program, Andre Parada, um, um, tweeted out earlier that that's not that's normally what the Bengals do. They like to absorb all that dead money uh, as soon as possible and not put it on books for future years. So just take those just take those losses as soon as possible. and that's exactly what what they did about an hour later with uh, right guard John Miller. Um they released him for about two and a half million dollars of cap space two and a half million dollars of dead cap as well, did not designate him as a uh, post-June 1st cap um, release. And that was surprising as well because, you know, I I think for the most part, for the better part of this offseason, we've heard a lot of rumors about right guard being the spot of pure competition this offseason with with talent coming from outside the organization. There's There's going to be a competition at right tackle between Bobby Hart and Fred Johnson. That's very much known. The spot of right guard, though, that was more under the microscope with the team seeming to have confidence in Michael Jordan holding down the left guard spot, but even so, like I, I would, th- I would have th- thought that John Miller would have been a part of that competition rather than just bringing in an extra guy along with him. But the the sudden release of, of Miller, you know, early in the free agency period, that was I think surprising to say the least, and you wouldn't think that they would do that unless they had an eventual re- replacement up their sleeve. And it turns out that's exactly what they did because later in the day they signed. Right, uh, left guard from Dallas, Xavier Suafilo, And he was the backup to Connor Williams at left guard for the past two years for the Cowboys after originally spending the first four years with the Houston Texans, the team that drafted him 33rd overall in the 2014 draft. Um, I, I think in, in terms, it, it's a very similar signing to that of Trey Waynes, whereas the guy that you would assume that he's replacing Trey Waynes, obviously assuming to replace Drake or Patrick, um, Suafilo replacing Miller, it doesn't really move the needle in terms of being a, you know, a noticeable upgrade. I, I think that when you factor in the age, Filo is actually two and a half years older than John Miller, even though they're only separated by one draft class. But there is more athleticism with Suofilo. There is more potential upside in terms of you know he hasn't really been a starter um, of late. He had to work his way back into that role in Dallas. But um, the past two years has have been more positive than the first four years of his career. So I think this is the Bengals kind of betting on that trend kind of continuing. Um, maybe penciling him in as a starter as of now, but maybe hoping to bring one or two more guys maybe in the draft to potentially compete with him. But that is at the very least a progressive move to attempt to upgrade the offensive line um, because John Miller, as, as decent as he was, he wasn't a, a talent that you can just ignore that position entirely. Um, I, I appreciate them trying to do something at, at guard. I'm just not sure that Suofilo is going to be this long-term answer, even though he did sign. A three-year deal
1: yeah and uh i think he provides another guy who provides positional flexibility um at both guard spots we had some dean burke where where is he going to play it by by indications at least from the beat writers etc he is a guy that is going to be looking at they're going to look at him at right guard um and they may go with michael jordan at left guard billy price at left guard to be determined but um like you said, John, uh, you know, they, they may kind of scrum it out with those three and then maybe another rookie or two. I've got um, my Twitter account on the screen here. Just a little bit of pro football focus and other other tidbits of information on Philo. So, um, you know, 60.1 overall grade, kind of a, a spot starter guy last year. So, um, you know, not... I, I think he uh, you know, is a guy that they may look at as a very short-term type of solution as they maybe groom some of these other guys. But yes, the, that. Uh, thank you for catching us up on some of the more recent ones after we kind of went through the first two days. Uh, you you kind of caught us up on some of the things of today, Wednesday. So thank you for that. But that's about where we're at with the Cincinnati Bengals. It took us 20 minutes or so to, to get there. But that's about where we're at for the Bengals and what's ahead or, or, you know, what they've done so far, rather. So they've got maybe some more work to do, but you could, you could argue that three upgrades have been made at least to potential starting positions. Speaking of that, John, now that we've got kind of the context and the layout of everything they've done, let's kind of go a little pros and cons. It may be harder to find... Some of each for each player in each contract, depending um, of some of these additions and subtractions. Okay. Um, I guess we could start with the easy one, which is DJ Reader, because that was the biggest and most notable signing, and probably the the one that we would all be most excited about. Um, you know, kind of pros for me, size, versatility. Um, age, fit in the division, and like I said earlier, that pivot from not, you know, you didn't get your linebackers you wanted, and instead of doing what the Bengals usually do, you didn't crawl in a shell for free agency. You went out and got another high-level player.
0: At the time that he was signed, it was the third most expensive contract per spot track in terms of just total money. Now, total money is whatever. It's the guarantee money that matters, but just seeing the Bengals that high and not only that high in terms of the contract that they gave, they, they gave, it was a really good player. I can't like, I cannot harp this enough. Like Bengals fans have wanted the Bengals to be more active in preaching. that's, that's all good and dandy, but they still like, it's, it's not just about just throwing money at a bad player. Like we've seen so often and those types of contracts, they, they ruin teams. They set teams back multiple years because there's, you know, their cap flexibility just gets thrown out the window it is a big contract for a really big and really good player. And that's very important to note. Like this is the biggest contract that they've given out in team history, but it's for a really good player. He's really good because like you said, you can play him on multiple techniques on this defensive line and versatility only goes so far. That that label only goes so far for as long as you're good at those positions. And he's good wherever you line him up because he can rush the passer, he can de- he can defend the run. He's not only a, a, a menacing presence on the defensive line, but he knows what to do with his hands. Being 6'3 and a half, 6'4, he plays with really good leverage. He's what Mike Mack would call the bubble buddy. He's got that, he's got that, you know, base to him, and he's just impossible to move. I, I know Jeff Hobson talked about, you know, he held his own against Quinn Nelson, against the Colts, and, you know, Nelson still had some good reps on him, but, you know, that's that's the standard at guard, and he, he did indeed hold his own. He has experience playing against him for two years now in the AFC South. Um, you know, the, the ability to put someone next to Geno Atkins and, be, and have him be almost an equally dominant president is something that the Bengals have never had. It's something that we've wanted for so long and they've missed so, so often in the draft, Brandon Thompson, Devin still Marcus Hardison, just these constant whiffs about guys that you want to either spill, you know, or give him some help next to him on all three downs reader is the guy to do that. I think that's the biggest pro that you can have with the signing.
1: Yeah. um, The, I watched some film, a little bit of limited film uh, last night after the, after the signing and, I saw a lot of positives. I saw a guy that was like you said, very difficult to move at the point of attack uh, because of his size and the way he plays very difficult to move. But I also saw a guy for that size that is relatively fleet of foot. I mean, he's a, a, he can move around and he can, Mm -hmm. he can move laterally for a guy that is, you know, that massive of size, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, I think we all know the, the pros, um, you know, I, I'm not, in terms of cons, I'm not even really concerned about the contract because, you know, people say, oh, you know, if, if for some reason this doesn't work out, this will just put them back in their shell again. I, I, you know, let's just not doom and gloom the thing too much. Really from a player standpoint, John, and, and I don't want to nitpick and I don't want to the one concern I have is that he was surrounded by talent. Um, he was surrounded by significant talent around him, J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless. I mean, a lot of people that that needed to be game-planned for on that defense. So, um, you know, there there is maybe a little bit of something that says, you know, he may command a little more attention, especially with that contract now. Uh, he may command a little bit more attention from opposing offenses and offensive lines going forward. Um, and he is not a stat line guy, but we know the stats don't tell the entire story with him um, and his effectiveness in a defense. That's really my only, I do not want to say a con. I would say it's a concern in terms of <laughs> bringing in the player. Do you like what I did there? Uh, you know, I, it's just more of, but the good news is he's got a Geno Atkins. He's got a Carlos Dunlap. He's got a Sam Hubbard. He's got other guys around him that are also pretty, pretty dang good players. But it just has to translate. That's really my only concern. It's a very minor one. Um, I think this is a hell of a pickup for the team, though overall,
0: right? And again, he's he, he can provide that presence that we have wanted next to Gino for some years. But he's not going to be the guy that even comes close to equaling him in terms of pressures and sacks. Like he's not he's not a primary. Primarily, he's not a pass rusher. He, that it he any any value that he adds to the pass rusher, it's, it's a plus. You, we can expect him to provide more than we had than we with Billings and, and other guys who've made that position in the past. But, it like, you know, your main value as a defense lineman is what can you add in the pass rush. And that's never going to be his primary, pr- primary primary value. And that's, I guess, the, well, the one minor con here because he's primarily a run defender. But he's a really good run defender, and he's a pretty decent pass rusher for what he brings to the table. So if it is a con, it's a very minor one. As
1: well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say, you know, overall, the, the pros is – the, the data, the production and everything shows you that this is a guy on the ascent. Um, he's not, he's not on the downside of his career. He's kind of entering the prime. Let's go to Trey Waynes. Pros with, you got pros with him off the bat signing with the Bengals. Right. Um, I, I think in terms of
0: what he brings compared to Drake or Patrick, he's only an upgrade when you go, when you go down, you know, trade by trade, he's a better tackler he's More physical, he's faster and quicker as an athlete, and th- that's, the, that's the things that we've heard repeatedly about the signing. They wanted somebody who was, who was a more physical presence on the perimeter. You saw time and time again last year, especially when Dark Wilson-R wasn't wasn't healthy, they got shredded alive on these outside runs because they didn't have any quarterbacks who can set that outside edge. They Their tackling was porous from both Drake or Patrick and William Jackson. He's a much better tackler than both those guys. That is the upgrade, that is the main upgrade that he brings. He, he'll be able to. Go up close to the line of scrimmage and work, work his way in press coverage and out physical guys that they haven't had that before. And not even Darius Phillips to an extent can do that because he's on the smaller side as well. And that's I guess why they're focusing on putting him in the slot now with both Dark r and bw web gone. Um, so that those are the pros. He's definitely more physical player than Drake or Patrick. If he if he ultimately does take that role, he's only a he's only a, a plus in that in that way. The con here, I guess, is that he's basically the same player in coverage, and that's the whole thing. He's better in the areas that are less important for cornerbacks, but he's essentially the same player in areas that are more important for cornerbacks. Your main value as a cornerback is how you, how you mean coverage. If you don't have ball skills, you're basically an average starter at best. And that's what Trey Wayne's was in Minnesota. He like, there's a reason why, you know, Minnesota fans and general NFL fans saw this contract, 42 million over three years and thought Trey Wayne's got that. Like that's Marcus Peters money. That's, very close to what you know the market value for this position is byron Jones got like 16 and a half James Bradbury got 14 and a half has got 14 million that's paid like a high-end starter and that's just not what he is like even if he's not te- technically the number one quarterback on this team there's still opportunities for defenses to expose him in coverage and that's what that's what the Packers did on, you know, on a biannual basis. The, Devontae Adams constantly went off on this guy because teams had an, an easy opportunity to pick on him multiple times a game. He's just not a high-end starter in terms of what is actually valuable in cornerbacks, and that's what definitely worries about worries me about you know how much the Bengals actually value this guy for the amount of money that they gave him. Like it, it's okay to admit that that they overpaid for him. It's okay to admit that they overvalued him. I don't believe there was any type of bidding war. I don't believe that the Bengals do this. I don't believe that they give out these contracts unless they believe that, that these players actually died this much. It's okay to assume that the Bengals overvalue what Trey Wayne's was, even if he's only an upgrade in, in trait, from trait by trait against Trey Patrick.
1: Yeah, and I think <clears throat> in terms of cons, Dean Burke in our live YouTube chat summed it up well. He said Trey Wayne's an upgrade on Kirkpatrick, but the numbers aren't as good as they can or should be. Really, it's the should be. Um, you know, first round pick. I think he was what was the top sixteen, top half of the first round when he was mm. selected. Um, you know the tr- the traits are there. It it just hasn't materialized, right? I mean, you, you've got you've got the talent, but the production and some of the tape doesn't match up there. Um, that's that's my concern with this whole thing. The pros to it, we'll get we'll get to that a, a bit more. But the pros to it is this. Secondary is looking very athletic and very speedy, which is which is good. I mean, you've got William Jackson who ran in the four threes at 40 in college. Uh, you've got Darius Phillips, extremely athletic, a guy you can move around to a lot of different places, kind of a turnover machine or a, a big play machine when he's out there. So you got him, you've now got Waynes who ran in the four threes. You still have Kirkpatrick who has good speed for his age. As of now, he's still on the team. Um, you know, you've got some, some possible playmakers in that secondary. And the hope is that, you know, maybe, maybe being surrounded with some talent, you bring in a DJ reader up front to maybe add a little pressure up front, which always makes secondaries look a a little better than they may, (laughs) than they may actually be. So, you know, I, I, I like the move from kind of a, Adding to a defense, a supplemental guy, I don't like, I don't know if I'm wording this well, I I like him as a supplemental piece to the defense. I don't like him as a centerpiece to the defense. I don't, I don't, don't, and I think for the money that the Bengals gave him, I think most people would look at it and say, well, that's kind of a centerpiece to a defense because that is big time money for a cornerback. Um I I don't like looking at him that way. And I don't like that the the contract seems to be designed that way. I like the fact that he's, that he would be a supplemental piece, another. And by the way, John, we said this before we took the air, the Bengals love those first round corners, man. They love them. -hmm. Whether whether, Whether they draft them on their own or they, they bring them in from other teams Um, you know, you can go back to Newman and Adam Jones and Kirkpatrick. I mean, you can go all the way back. They love to collect first round players in the secondary and at cornerback. Um, so you've got technically what should be a, a talented player in the secondary, another first round pick. So in that respect, I like it. I don't absolutely love it because of the contract, but I I like the player overall. And I think it is an upgrade, um, you know, in, in some respects. Uh, bouncing off of that like in, in case
0: you forgot this is the same team that drafted three first-round corners in like five years they obviously valued the position really high and yeah. i think as soon as they saw the position deteriorate to the point where it's one of the main causes why this defense is the worst they got to work in improving it that's why they signed a couple of street free agents i think right after the season ended and then winston Rose and tony brown that's why they were so uh, you know that's why they're so adamant about turning the whole position group around and that's why there were reports about this being one of the positions that they were going to be aggressive to attack. And if, you know, it, obviously they don't value the linebacker position very much because they haven't, they've still continued to not spend in it, but they reminded us that they still value cornerback really high. And there, you know, if there's a type of athlete, if there's a type of player to bet on kind of hitting a stride in the second half of his career, Wayne's is kind of fits that mold because he is really fast. He is still athletic. That That's not going to go away. And like, you know, we saw that kind of with Terrence Newman, who kind of, revitalized his career at the Bengals that i much older, but that, that's the same similar type of athlete that didn't have exactly the, the greatest ball skills downfield. Those are traits, you know, unfortunately ball skills and just general coverage ability that don't really develop over time if it hasn't already. But I think there's still a chance that Wayans can kind of, you know, flatten out to be a more consistent and stable player. And at that point, like at, at that point, as long as he becomes more consistent, you can kind of live with, with the value of his contract. But until we see then, it's more of a wait and see type of situation.
1: Yeah, and just a, uh, a side note with this as well. Uh, before we move on to talking about the pros and cons with other contracts, contracts, etc. with this team, I did see some statistics that show Trey Wayne's is pretty pretty capable on third down, uh, and that that in itself is a big trade. This team over the last couple of years has really struggled to get off the field on third down. He's had, Wayne's has had some issues. You mentioned Devontae Adams has kind of had his way with him, um, with the, with the Packers there, but apparently some of the numbers prove that he's pretty good on third down um, when, when targeted. So you got to like that. I would assume. Yeah, sure. Like that's definitely a problem for them going forward. So um, again, I, I
0: think they recognize definite weaknesses that they had and they targeted a guy they felt that filled them and that, and that the bare bones, that's a positive. But, you know, again, like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people saying just be happy that they spend, just be happy that they're bringing in different talent. It, it goes beyond that, man. It, it's not just about spending money. in That was never the point. It was about spending enough money to get actually good players. And I don't know if Wayne's right. particularly qualifies to that because he, he's a marginal upgrade at best over the starter that they had. But I, I guess in general, it's a step in the right direction. But we just got to see if he can actually develop into a better player.
1: OK, so pros and cons of Z- Xavier Suafilo. Pros. Um,
0: I, I, I like the trend of his career over the past couple of years. You know, he came yeah. to Dallas as a, as a backup. He was a spot starter. He became a more consistent player. Like, the reason why he was drafted, you know, so high back in 2014, he was a really good athlete. I think he tested in the 99th or 96 percentile in the short shuttle, pretty high in the three cone and the 40 yard dash. Very athletic in the areas that you want your guards to be. So, you know, obviously, they went out and drafted Michael Jordan last year, one of the more athletic gar- guards in that class. They have a guy, Jonah Williams, who can handle a lot of zone schemes. You can do a lot of things for Trey Hopkins as well. So, I feel it kind of fits the mold of, I think they still want to go into this primarily zone blocking scheme up front. And he fits the mold more than what a John Miller did, who, you know, wasn't exactly the biggest president, but didn't exactly really fit a lot of those zone concepts. And he played a lot better when they went into more, more, into more gap stuff. So, in terms, I think, of the direction that they wanted to go. Um, the athlete that Suafilo is kind of fits that, and he seems to—he seemed to have been hitting his stride last year when he had to start. He had more consistent grading from Pro Football Focus when he was part of that offensive line. So, you know, in, in terms of you know finding positives, there are some to be found. Cons—he's 29 years old, and he's yet to—he's yet to become an, a, a consistent start in the NFL, and that's definitely concerning. There were definite issues of him coming out of college at UCLA. He had the athleticism, but there were definite technical issues that led him to be. A very very inconsistent player in Houston. Like I think he was, you know, tasked with forty plus pressures in back to back years. Part of that offensive line. It's one of the reasons why that offensive line kind of went downhill uh, to to the point to where it is now, where they had to completely rebuild to that point. Like you know, there's a reason why Houston didn't bring him back, and there's a reason why he didn't sign to become a starter in his next team. So this is again, it's taking a risk on a player who seemed to have been hitting his stride, you know, more more so um, towards the later part of his career. He still has that athleticism. I think that's you know something that the Bengals will value, but this is taking a risk on a below-average player at this point to become an average starter at this point.
1: Yeah, and you know that's uh, the pros for me: affordable contract. um, You know, affordable contract on what could be a marginal upgrade from what they saw from Miller in 13 games last year. Pass blocking is his forte. He was the number one, uh, the highest-rated pass blocking guard by pro football focus metrics, but very limited sample size. So right. um, one sack given up, one penalty given up, you, you like that. But again, very limited s- sample size because he wasn't the starter for the whole year. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of yeah, buts with this guy. Yeah. You know, a lot. very athletic, as you mentioned, never translated really fully to the pros. Good pass blocking grades of recent time, you know, recent years. Not hasn't really translated for full seasons. Um, I I loved this kid when he was at UCLA. I saw quite a bit of him. I Mm -hmm. loved this kid in college. And uh, I I thought the Bengals would have been all over him when he came out. Um, You know, I, I, I just thought he would have been a good fit for them. And, and, you know, I, I was a little disappointed with his performance, Uh, you know, different, different player, but, same kind of career arc, and I, I liken it because the Bengals actually offered this guy a deal. If you remember a couple of years ago, the Bengals signed Deuce Littui. Uh Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And he failed his physical with the, with the Bengals, but he was going to be a good guy. Now, he was more of the power ro- road grader guy, the big, you know, big guy that um, you kind of expect a bit more out of your right guard. But same kind of deal. I remember him being a dominant player at USC. Never really became that same guy at the next level. Um, you know, you, you kind of thought you'd see a a Mike Eupati early pre-injury type of guy, and that that never really materialized. Same thing with Xavier Suafilo. I, I just I feel like he never really hit what could have been in the pros, and I think at at best this is maybe a bridge type of guy as the Bengals bring in a day two, day probably day three guy. Uh, to maybe compete for a spot or groom going forward. I think, you know, best case scenario, if you have him at right guard, you have Michael Jordan at left. If Michael Jordan starts to falter, you know, maybe you could swap Xavier Suofilo to the left and then you bring in a Billy Price or however you want to work that. It gives them a, a few more options. It gives them an inexpensive option by pro football focus metrics It's a marginal upgrade over John Miller, but, again, the sample size doesn't really equate to that. That's kind of my pros and cons and take on it.
0: Yeah, and, again, like, we have Dean Burke in the comments section. Another pro is Xavier's a veteran on the line. Our offensive line's very young. That's very true because I think he has – I think Jeff Hobson said he's tied with Bobby Hart, like, the most starts for any player on this offensive line. And, okay, that, that, that's fine. Experience is, is, is experience. It just depends on how much quality that experience is. And, unfortunately, there's not a lot of quality starts, just to feel his name. The, the Another con for me, though, is that this guy's a career left guard. Like, he never played on the right side in college. He was a left tackle and a left guard at UCLA. He's played two of however many games he's played in the NFL at right guard. He's only been at left guard. And I, it, it's there seems to be a plan for him to, at the very least, compete for that right guard spot. But it's such a definitive plan that it's just curious to me as to how confident they are in this guy playing a completely you know, a completely different position. People think that left guards and right guards, they can just change sides all the time. It's just not necessarily the case, especially if you don't have the experience to do so. But again, versatility only goes so far as long as you're capable of playing multiple spots. So at the very least, Michael Jordan had experience playing right guard at Ohio State. I think there was like a, a video that released to Twitter last week of, of him working out in some type of offseason program. And he was taking pass sets from that right guard spot. So I thought that could have been something that could have, you know, signaled a a definite change in terms of where we would see Gazan off the line. And specifically with Fila being a primary left guard, you would think that he would be more comfortable filling that spot. So, you know, again, you're counting on a guy to be a much better player than than he has been in the first six years of his career at a completely new position. I'm not comfortable with him being the penciled in starter at a position that he's rarely, if not ever played. And I would definitely hope that they would address the, the the position and address some form of competition very early in the draft. And I, they have met with a lot of guards at the combine, and they were were sent to me with some other guards, some quality guards, for some pre draft business before they all got canceled due to the COVID nineteen. But you know, ho- hopefully that does get addressed in the draft.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, versi- positional versatility potentially limited limited snaps at right guard but positional versatility veteran and you know a guy that as you bring in a new quarterback in what all but seems to be Joe Burrow you like a guy's forte to be as more of a pass protector to keep your quarterback upright but um, like you said limitations not really hitting where the career arc should be um, and you know, not not really a needle mover in terms of a move. Let's go to the other side now that we've talked about the additions. Uh, let's quickly talk about the pros and cons of some of these guys who left the Bengals. Darquez Dinar, Let's start there. Um, I I just I don't see a guy in terms of in terms of cons of letting him walk. I don't see a guy that the Bengals currently employ that seems to be as capable in the slot as he was, Um, you know, I, I feel like he was very good in the slot. He was adequate on the outside, average-ish, maybe slightly above average on the outside. And that's being kind. Um, You know, I, I don't see kind of that gritty tough, you know, guy who can, who is willing to and be effective against tight ends against those shifty slot receivers. I don't see, I see a lot of, you know, athletic boundary guys I don't see the slot guy not not that Denard was not athletic but you understand what I'm saying that the length guys the bound the more boundary corners as opposed to a guy who will contribute a lot in the run in the run defense game can blitz the quarterback and can cover some of the tougher targets Um, that's the cons for me the also apparently that he could have been had for Uh, what seems like a marginal deal. That seems like a very manageable deal as uh, apparently to what he got um, in Jacksonville. But the thing is, John, he's, he's just rarely available. He's missed so much time. And uh, I I think if that wasn't, I mean, even if that was just a small concern instead of a large concern, maybe we'd be talking about him re-signing, but it's just the availability factor. This team needs guys to be there, especially if they're going to pay him decent money. Exactly. And I think the fact that he's had durability issues
0: is why uh, he only got, I think, about four and a half million average per year from the Jaguars. But I'm happy for him because he definitely wanted a bigger role on defense. He, he sees himself as you know a more integral part on, on defense, a guy who can you know perform on the boundary in that way. And that's part of the reason why this relationship was kind of doomed to, to end. And we were kind of seeing the rumors and the writing on the wall as, as early as the beginning of the offseason. But you're exactly right. For all this talk about what Trey Wayne's brings from a physicality standpoint, you're losing your best, your best tackle cornerback in, in in Dark West You don't have that physical presence in the slot anymore. You know Darius Phillips. he played more in the slot in his rookie year before transitioning to a boundary guy in a second year. But you don't know if he can bring that same physical presence. And run defending is so much more important for guys. You know, lining up close to line closer to the formation, and that was such a plus when whenever Denar was out there, the run defense was definitely a lot more stout because you know, th- that edge was set more fiercely and you had guys finally back inside and it, and it made the linebacker's jobs a lot more easier. So that's definitely a, a, a void that they have to fill, whether it be with a guy on the roster or a, or a guy in the draft, but you know, a- again, like uh, obviously good for him and, and, and you know, for, for finding a bigger role, but you know, but that room is now really crowded and hopefully some other guys find some, some new opportunities and, you know, and unfortunately it was just a relationship that never really, you know, fulfilled to what, you know, you would like a first round pick to be. And it's primarily because of those, you know, those mixed aspirations or aspirations of what he wanted to be. And unfortunately he just never stayed healthy for the Bengals to commit to him long-term.
1: Yeah. Um, let's go to the, the, some of the voluntary guys they, they let go. Um, I guess we'll start with BW Webb because he was the first that kind of came out came across the news wire. I mean, I guess there's not a lot of uh, cons to really uh, the contract you got out of a kind of a a contract that was a three-year deal. That was kind of a lot for a guy that you had initially pegged to be like your fourth corner. Um, I I guess the only thing that I would say that is uh, a con is, did he really get the fairest shake, I guess, with Cincinnati? And what I mean by that is, he they he was thrown into a starting role that was not what they wanted for him they wanted him to be you know kind of their number 3 number 4 cornerback he had a broken arm when he was thrown into this the starting role and was out there with a cast it's just kind of like you're throwing a guy out there with limitations and it's spotlighted because of an injury and because of his own you know deficiencies as a player when your expectations for him we're going to be something along the lines of a number three, number four cornerback. And you would have been comfortable with that because he's an experienced guy and you know, what have you, but not as your number two, number one cornerback, which happened to be the case towards the end of the season. So I, on one hand, I feel a little unfair piling on him. He did not play well. Um, but I think there are other factors that play with that. So that's kind of the, the only con I can say in getting rid of him. Um, and you know the experience factor. You've now got some guys behind some of the the top guys with a little less experience. But I mean, overall, it just makes sense. Get out of that deal.
0: Exactly. Like you're not missing anything, even with the healthy BW Web and the healthy BW Web is a rosterable player. And I think that's why uh, ESPN Bengals reported Ben Baby said that the Bengals he wouldn't be surprised if they re-signed Web later this offseason in case they had issues at cornerback. Mm-hmm. For now, it was just it was just a way to save cap space, you know, because. <laughs> you know prior to a couple of days ago he had one of the bigger contracts on this team and that was the state of the salary cap with this team so um yeah you're not really missing anything with him even when he was even when he was healthy uh, like like you said it was unfortunate that he you know was thrown onto the field with that cast on his and definitely made the situation worse for him so it's it, again it's like whatever you're not, you're not missing that, that, that good of the player even when he was healthy
1: Yep. Uh, so let's move on to John Miller. I mean, we talked a lot about Xavier Suofilo. I mean, really, it's kind of my my big beef with letting him go is, you know, why the rush? Why why not to say why, why save that money if you really weren't going to go for someone maybe high, a little more higher profile or higher higher end. Then Xavier Suofilo, that was just not a guy that was on my radar at all for this team. I would have thought like an Andrews Pete for a guard would have been a, would have been a decent addition. A- another guy though, whose career arc has never really been, hasn't been reached either. But a guy that you know you could you could start him at guard in a pinch, maybe play him a tackle type of thing. I I don't know. I I just I guess I'm kind of like why the rush to get that contract off the books to get a guy that is seemingly a marginal. Uh, improvement that that's kind of that's kind of my take on that um i i guess i also kind of did he was he that bad i I don't know i I guess i'm kind of it wasn't great but is is what you're getting and replacing him with is that really going to to be such a a large improvement i that's that's kind of my issue with it otherwise it's kind of like well if you were just kind of dissatisfied with the deal, get out of that one too. But I, I don't know. Like,
0: it's not like the Bengals were oh, the Bengals so cap strapped and so close to the cap so that they had to make this move. It just seems like you know they, they were, I guess, generally unsatisfied with with the play that they got from him. The fact that he was, you know, at he was probably one of the more expensive, unrestricted free agent signings that they've ever had from an external free agent when they signed him is by far the biggest that they had last year and the biggest that they had in recent memory. So the the fact that they got out of that deal after a year is another unprecedented move for the organization. But, you know, if John Miller is your worst offensive lineman, you have a pretty good offensive line. The problem was he was maybe their second best last year behind Trey Hopkins. He definitely provided a lot of consistency when he was healthy. And, you know, that, that is something that they, you know, it's, a, it's a question mark going forward is to going to give you the same level of consistency when you're having a fully healthy bright guard out there that, that Miller did, because five out of 12 games, he started last year. He didn't allow a single pressure. He had some really good games for the Bengals last year. He, I thought brought the exact value that he signed for in the, in the offseason. I think he was one of the better value players that they had on the team and one of the better value players at the position last year. And there's, there's a reason why he got signed almost immediately after he was let go. He signed a one-year, four-year, four one-year, de- four, one four million dollar deal with the Panthers uh, just hours after he was let go. The Panthers obviously right. needed a guard after they traded away Trey Turner, so I think he'll give him the same type of production down there. He's just a solid starter in the league, and you know if, if you want to upgrade that position over John Miller. I have no problem with that because he's definitely not right. the type of player that you, you. Yeah, he's definitely not the player that you that you say, hey, we have John Miller, we don't need to upgrade here. If you want to bring in a guy, a high upset guy in the draft, or if you want to bring in a clear upgrade in free agency, to, you know, over Miller, that's completely fine. The fact that they their solution to here was Suafilo is very confusing to me, and I'm not I'm not exactly sure I, I see the plan here. Um, but again, it, it, if they had done moves like this, you know, in the past where they were unsatisfied with like mediocre players that's something that we would have been for. It's just the, the, the exact route that they have with this plan is a little bit confusing. And I think that's my one reservation with it.
1: Yeah. Um, like I said, if you're going to get rid of it, if you're going to get rid of the guy, you know, make it for a move that, uh, really seems to be, a, uh, more than a slightly marginal upgrade. Exactly. So, Let's quickly before we move on. Let's quickly just do kind of the group of the restricted free agents in terms of pros and cons. Um, Cons, I don't know about the tender level, especially when it comes to a guy like Brandon Wilson. Um, I don't. I don't think anyone's really going to come sniffing for him. But you know, you maybe wanted to be a little safe there, but safer there. But um, for me, that that's one area. I mean, Stephen Carter is that. I mean, I, I, special teams, I get it. And and I guess that makes sense if you weren't going to keep Clayton Fedulam. But um, I, I don't know about that one. Alex Redman, same kind of thing. It just, he just keeps hanging around. Um, they, they like something out of him. So, um, you know, really, I, I guess I like the fact that they kept these guys that are valuable at minimum camp bodies, where Brandon Wilson was almost a Pro Bowl type of guy uh, as a return man. Um, so, I like they hung on to him, but, I mean, on the uh, I guess if, if you look at significant roles for some of these guys, I I don't know. I mean, they're not going to have significant roles, right?
0: Like, like you're not going to start Josh Tupo at, at nose tackle because you have G.J. Reeder here. You, you have Brandon Wilson presumably stepping up as some type of clean, fedulant player on special teams because, you know, he has that similar athleticism. And I think they value him in that way, and he's going to rotate it in that safety in that, in that rotation in that secondary. Carter's just a fine special teams player and Redmond's just gonna be around for camp just to see what he can do at guard. So, you know, there's no no real cons in tendering these guys. There would be some cons in tendering, you know, like Hardy Nickerson or somebody like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are, are around because they have whatever value that they have for
1: the things that they do. So it's, yep. it's whatever. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've been talking about the recent happenings with the club in free agency. We've been doing some pros and cons as it pertains to the contracts that came and went with the Cincinnati Bengals as we are just on the precipice of the start of the 2020 league year. Thank you for being with us. We're going to be with you for a few minutes longer talking about what could be ahead for the Cincinnati Bengals. So stick with us. As I mentioned before, you can get this show on a number of different audio platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Really, wherever you get your audio podcasts, get the show there. Subscribe to our channels. You can also get the videos at our YouTube channel or on cincyjungle.com. And, of course, keep it to cincyjungle.com for a number of different pieces of news, opinions, analysis, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, so we have someone in the comments section ask um, what the Bengals salary cap situation looks like, and we're just gonna we're gonna go through like the projected cap hits for whatever for the signings and whatnot. Just kind of get a general idea where we are. Um, AJ Green cost eighteen million. The the four tenders that they had were gonna cost about eight and a half. Um, according to Jeff Hobson, the cap hits for uh, DJ Reader, Trey Waynes. And Xavier Suafilo is going to come to about 23 million. So when you add all those up, that's just about 50 million in total spending for the 2020 season. They had about 55 in terms of 55 million in terms of cap space, and and then you 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 clear out John Miller, you clear out BWO, that clears about five million there. So rough estimate, just about 10 million in cap space right now. But that is not including getting rid of Dalton's contract, and that's kind of leading into a. Where do we go from here? Like, what, what happens now? They, they address defensive line. They address cornerback. They, I guess, kind of address offensive line at, at right guard. But you still have definite questions. You have guys who are still free agents that may or may not be brought back, and you have guys that may or may not be cut or, cut or traded. So just to start off, um, I'm not, what I heard this afternoon from a, from a source that I'm not going to name, um, but he has ears inside the organization and he told me with extreme confidence that Drake Kirkpatrick is not going anywhere. Not not, not that he's not going to be traded, but that he's not going to be cut in general. Now, Drake Kirkpatrick was a guy that many people had pegged as, you know, a, a clear cap casualty. A, a guy that if you bring in a guy like Trey Wayne's, you would assume that Drake Kirkpatrick, you know, there, there's no more starting spots on, on the at boundary corner. They still like William Jackson. His his 2020 salary cap is now guaranteed after the league year started, so he's getting paid ten million. You're, you're you're paying Trey Trey Wayne's about twenty million in actual real cash because of the signing bonus and the roster bonus and everything that comes with that. So you think you know where is Drake or Patrick going to play? And there's no real clear answer to that. You have three bodies that have only played on the boundary, and you have maybe like maybe only the slot you know starting position is opens. But apparently they, they they still like Dre. It would take a miracle for them to move on with him via trade. They're not exactly pushed up against the salary cap at this point, you know, even whatever they might say. But according to what I heard, he's staying for now. Maybe things change later in the offseason when they like enough from Waynes and Jackson at, at, at those starting spots and they see Kirkpatrick as maybe, a, you know, a, a roster cut at the end of building the final roster. But for now, Drake Kirkpatrick is staying. We cannot say the same thing about Andy Dalton, though. And there's been a lot of news and movements on the quarterback trade market. Unfortunately, the Bears traded for Nick Foles and Andy Dalton, and they got a fourth round. They got their fourth round compensatory pick from that, and they are going to restructure Nick Foles' contract to even take on that deal. And you know they got a lot of they got a lot of heat for that. So you know, I guess I guess the Bengals wouldn't budge from their um, desire for one of their second round picks, and so that really only leaves you got you got to think the New England Patriots are the favorites at this point if. If Andy Dalton gets traded at all, they, they seem like the the one and only logical solution to this because Brady's obviously in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, or excuse me, Los Angeles, the Chargers have pulled themselves out of the quarterback market, according to Ian report. There's just no other lane spots possible for Andy Dalton if you still want to trade him. And, you know, his contract is not going to be on the books. They, they're still clear intent on moving on from him, but at this point... He, it, it, whatever the Patriots want, just give it to them. Don't I, I don't think that they should be queued in these negotiations. This can't turn into another A.J. McCarron-type situation. You're not working up against a deadline where you know a, a wrong fax machine can ruin this whole thing. But at this point, if you can get anything for Andy Dalton, you, you've lost all leverage and you should do whatever you can to, to do so.
1: Nick Foles to Chicago. Tom Brady to Tampa Bay. You mentioned Chargers are kind of out of the quarterback derby the veteran quarterback derby indianapolis grab philip rivers there there's not a lot of options out there in terms of the Bengals dealing andy dalton somewhere unless you have a miami dolphins team that maybe wants some sort of if if their plan is to take tua and maybe they want to give to a little time a redshirt type of season and you want to make a deal with for an andy dalton as a bridge guy and you want to you know that, that makes some sense potentially. Maybe Jacksonville, now that they moved on from Nick Foles, they seem to like Gardner Minshew. I don't know that that makes sense. Chargers could be playing things close to the vest, and maybe they just put out the rumor about we're content with Tyrod Taylor as opposed to maybe an Andy Dalton. There are not a lot of options for the Cincinnati Bengals. The only thing I would disagree with you on, John – in terms of your stance of you can't get cute with this. If the Bengals are pretty content in terms of what they have allocated to outside free agency, maybe even what they will allocate to inside free agency going forward, they may sit back and wait with Andy Dalton and say, we're going to wait till the draft and see what teams miss out on a possible quarterback. And then someone may come calling kind of like a Josh Rosen thing. Or they may wait until camps and teams see what they may have in their quarterback positions. Maybe, God forbid, an injury happens, and that's when a team comes knocking for an Andy Dalton, maybe even giving you a bit more than what has been offered now because of desperation. It's a gamble. It's a big risk to to play that game. But if you're dead set and you're not really if you're dead set on getting a certain amount uh, a, a certain value for Andy Dalton and and what you think you can get for him, I, maybe you hang on to him for, if, if you're not going to spend more, a lot more money, maybe you hang on to that contract for the time being and then you try and maximize that. I, I still think though John, to your point, I still think that the Bengals would be wisest to get rid of that contract, to get rid of that player as much as possible, not only to free up money to get more impactful players, but also to potentially get a draft pick to immediately use. That is not what they would get if they wait till summer.
0: Right. And like you said, there, there could be a, a scenario where they trade him during the draft and maybe his value goes up with that at, because I, I just remember watching the draft last year and thinking you know, like the Cardinals completely messed this up. There's no way they're going to get, anywhere near what they want with Josh Rosen. They ended up getting a second-round pick. So it's possible that that kind of happens, even though the situations with what Rosen was and what Dalton is, a little bit different in that in that sense. But, I mean, to your point, like, <laughs> I believe it was Duke Tobin during the Combine press conference that said something along the lines of there's still a possibility that we keep Andy around. And the Bengals aren't really the, t- the type of team that would kind of lie in terms of smokescreen like that. So I, I believe that what he said he truly meant in, in terms of a contingency plan in case something like this happened. Um, like the, the Bengals are going to value the guys appropriate, or not not necessarily appropriately, but they're going to be, they're going to hold strong to their valuations of these players. They're not, that they're, they're never going to feel like they overpaid for somebody. They're never going to feel like they traded a player away for less than what they valued him. Clearly they value Andy Dolan a lot more than what the bears valued him in terms of what they're willing to part away. But that was really the whole problem was the fact that the bears only had two second round picks and then a fourth round compensatory pick, which is essentially a fifth rounder at that point. Clearly, that was not a, the, the fourth round pick was not enough for the Bengals to let go of Dalton. They won one of the second round picks. The Bears were not willing to do that, and they, they ended up with Nick Foles anyway. So the Patriots have more flexibility in terms of draft capital to uh, to do something with that. But even then, like there's reports about they're not willing to spend a lot of money for a Tom a Tom Brady replacement. And who is anybody to, to tell Bill Belichick what he's going to do and, and and what he should do? Because clearly he's head and shoulders above everybody else in in this industry. So like you said, you know, it's possible that a Jaguars type situation could be in the cards, even though they seem to be in that complete rebuilding stage. And maybe a bridge quarterback at this point is not necessarily in the cards with that. But again, like I don't think that like it's imperative that they do this immediately. I think they're still willing to take their time to see what happens. But I do think that in terms of what they like in terms of having a certain amount of, of salary cap space to do to do certain things. They would like this contract off the books. And you know, I think we both agree that he's not going to be on this team for, for very long, if not, you know, right
1: right up to the draft. When have you ever seen Mike Brown be, bend? When, I mean, <laughs> when he takes right. a hard line, it's he doesn't bend. I mean, that's just – that's who he has always been. That's how his father was. So uh, I, I just – I don't see that occurring. Let's move, John, to maybe some of the other guys, like a Nick Vigil, a Tyler Eifert. Those guys still lingering out there. I tend to think that Nick Vigil may be back in this team's plans after aggressively going after some of those high-end linebackers that were in this market. Maybe you bring back a Vigil on a reasonable deal, maybe even a rental deal, a one-year rental deal. You bring him back as a rotational piece in that defense, you still draft a linebacker probably within the first three rounds, I would assume, and then that's how you move forward. You've got Pratt, who showed improvement later. You have Vigil. Maybe you add a couple in the draft. I, that's that's my thought as it goes with Vigil. I, I'm a little less optimistic on Eifert coming back to the Bengals personally, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I think they're just going to wait and see what happens with Eifert. Um, you know, the, the tight end market is a little bit odd right now. I think only maybe a handful of signed. Austin Hooper was obviously the headliner. He went to the Browns for, I think, the biggest free agent contract for a tight end in league history. So that that market's going to be interesting for him. Um, with Vigil, like, it, it's it's really hard at this point to say that he's not coming back because they whiffed on the linebackers that they attempted the target to upgrade over him. Um, I... I I don't know if they really believe in these one-year contracts anymore because like last year we, we, we thought that they would do the same thing with Preston Brown. They gave him a three-year deal that they obviously felt they could get out of after one year, which is exactly what they did. They, they may bring Brad Vigil on some type of multi-year deal. Again, that's still very flexible for them if they want to get out, if they need to, but he's unfortunately looking like one of the better options that they, that they have to at least fill that hole until the draft, because def- a linebacker is definitely being drafted within the first three or four picks. Like that's, Unquestionable at this point, especially with what happened in pre agency. This is what you didn't want to happen. You didn't want to go into the draft being forced to take a linebacker early in, in case, you know, there's just no good linebackers left there. Like the odds of a Patrick Queen or a Kenneth Murray being there at the 33 overall pick is very low at this point. Um, you have guys, intriguing options in, in in those middle rounds, but none you're really comfortable being a plug and play starter. Like, even with Jermaine, like just look at Jermaine Pratt. You, you, you thought that they, you know, maybe put them onto the field a little bit too early and it took a while to really you know, acclimate into the system. Linebackers are not that important in terms of just building a defense in general, but it's just with the Bengals specific scenario, because they don't have a dominant coverage unit, they don't have a dominant pass rush. They get exposed tremendously easier compared to other teams. And when you have the literal worst linebackers in the NFL, it just looks a lot w- more worse than it is. And it's unfortunate that they just continue to miss out on opportunities to really improve this unit, even if, the value of their importance doesn't match that of of a cornerback or an edge rusher, but their their options are very limited at this point. There could be a a Devondre Campbell or a a Josh Bynes who can just be a stopgap at that that point. So you don't have to take a linebacker as soon as possible. But unfortunately, Vigil does look like a a prime option for them. It's just a matter of when at this point.
1: Yeah. And there are a number of different statements in our live chats. I'm seeing, you know, Mike Donahue – Sean Williams will play a bunch of linebacker this year. Again, I, I know that Williams kind of played in linebackerish type of role, uh, roles last year. There were a number of s- snaps that he took at kind of that position. So maybe the plan is get another safety and you, you add Williams to a hybrid-ish type of role. Uh, you know, I, I, I see James Holly here, Akeem Gaither, Davis. I mean, that's uh, Davis Gaither. That's that's a guy that uh, you know, the Bengals had a visit lined up with. They they met with him at the combine. They like him dealing with an injury, so you know, may not be a guy that they rely on immediately, but I, I at this think po- at that- this point,
0: like like at this point, just find athletes like. Right. If, if if nothing else, find guys who can run. I think I think Campbell, Devontae Campbell, ran like a four-five of the combine. You have guys like like Davis Gaither, like Willie Gay, who are really fast. Just find guys that can move. Like everything else will work right. out because because like they obviously invest in the cornerback spot. They expect that position to be better. They expect the defensive line to be better. If these surrounding units are just can just hold their own, just find speed at the linebacker. If nothing else, just target that one thing. Let, every, let everything else work out because they just haven't had that for so long. And even Nick Vigil, who tested like a, like a decent athlete, who just could never get his head on straight, just find speed. Just go after any speed that, that that's there. If there's some speed left on the market. There's definitely speed in the draft. If all else fails, just go after that.
1: They might, and it might be early. It might be early, and it might be earlier than some think. But the Bengals, as of now, have some glaring holes at linebacker, Nick Vigil seems to be at least a guy that they should be looking at for a a rotational or rental type of piece as they look to fill out the rest of that. That group, maybe Sean Williams contributes more in a linebacker-ish role. We'll see. There are some other comments before we get out of here, John. There's some other comments uh, among just so many complimentary ones, but there are some comments about the offensive line and, you know, Fred Johnson, also slot corner. I don't know if you have any – obviously you talked about Dre. So he is he, – you kind of think that he's kind of a slot cornerish or maybe Waynes or it kind of depends on the alignment there. But it sounds like per your source, they are going to keep those top three guys in terms of Jackson, Kirkpatrick, Waynes, and how they work that out. We'll see. There are some other names that are being brought up, though. Fred Johnson is, is one I'm seeing a lot tonight. Uh, as as how he could fit on the offensive line, potentially even a Bobby Hart replacement. I see a lot of a lot of calling for that tonight, and I mean, that's a theme. So thoughts on that? Yeah,
0: like going back to like the cornerbacks. If you if you guys don't believe me, I believe Jeff Hobson wrote something like right after BW Webb um, was released. He was talking about having all three contracts of William Jackson, Drake Patrick, and. Trey Williams on the books and having to deal with that, like this, this seems like a foregone reality at this point. Like I know it doesn't make a lot of logistical sense. Just finding, you know, roles for those guys on the field. It could come down to some type of competition type deal. At this point, we don't know a lot. It's there's still a lot that we don't know, and um, in, in terms of where these guys fit logistically. But yeah, it's the offensive line. We, we Fred Johnson, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I I think he has a great opportunity to do something. Uh, obviously. They value Bobby Hart in the same lenses that they value Alex Redman. They want him around. They like his mentality. Um, to, to his point, because the Bengals you know, passing game got the ball out quickly, his his production numbers looked a lot better. I think there were times in, in the season that he looked so somewhat improved. He's obviously not a consistent or viable start at the position, but I think the presence of Johnson competing with him can maybe kickstart something with that position. I think the athleticism that Johnson has – Definitely gives him an edge in terms of you know being a more dominant presence in the running game, doing more of the zone um, concepts and schemes that they want to do. He's going to get a fair shot at that. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they address it in the draft. I think they want a guy who can not only compete at the right guard spot, but has the versatility to maybe down the road compete at right tackle. Because Hart only has two years left on his contract, they can get out of that deal very easily either this offseason season or the next off season. I don't think they're going to get out of it this off season, but. There's, there's, there's flexibility in terms of future options at that, at that position. I think they would, let, they would like a guy that can play multiple positions, that can add presence at those two positions specifically. But Johnson's definitely going to be in the mix. A rookie's definitely going to be in the mix at right guard with the potential to slide out to right tackle. But for now, Bobby Hart is here, and there's a reason why he's not cut. They, they just like him too much.
1: They do, and he showed improvement however marginal it may be towards the end of the season. And it really wouldn't have been that hard to show improvement based on how he played at the beginning of the season. But that's another story for another time. John, let's get out of here. We've gone, we've gone long. We've talked a lot about what the free, the Bengals have done in free agency, what may be ahead. Any other final thoughts as we drop the mic and get out of here?
0: It's just, you know, I've, I've been covering this team for four years and, you know, you, you hear things about, they're going to be different. They're going to be more aggressive. And you, like, again, you you try to like compartmentalize that you try to figure out what that means in terms of, you know, looking at past trends and then they could just do, you know, they have three signings, you know, before the league year officially begins. And it's just, it's wild and it's crazy. And we're in wild times right now. I thought I would have something more philosophical than this, but like, like, it's it's all I kind of want to think about at this point because of everything that's going on and it, we all need distractions in a time like this. So, I guess kudos to the Bengals for giving us some.
1: Yeah, it, it gave us some news that we, we didn't really expect. I mean, I, I guess we thought that they would be active based on some of these reports and they would bring in some relatively high caliber players, but maybe not to the level of a Trey Waynes or a DJ reader. We kind of thought they may be, you know, mid level ish or so in terms of who they bring in. And that would be generous. It would just kind of do what they did last year and spend money kind of to spend it. But it seems as if Zach Taylor either has Mike Brown's ear or he's in alignment with Duke Tobin and both have Mike Brown's ear and ownership's ear and that they're making these moves very significant. I mean, John, some of the biggest free agent acquisitions I can think of, you can go back to Sam Adams, the big defensive tackle from Baltimore who was way past his prime when he was with the Cincinnati Bengals. You can go to James Harrison, same exact thing, big name that was past his prime and wasn't a scheme fit with this team. Terrell Owens, Lo- love love what he brought entertainment-wise, but same kind of deal. Past his prime as evidenced by the fact that he never really landed with a team beyond, at least not long-term, with a team beyond what happened with the Bengals. Uh, Talent-level-wise, you got to figure that this is a, really a sweet spot for what teams do in free agency in terms of a wanes and in terms of a reader. That's how teams are supposed to operate in free agency, and then it subsequently hopefully opens things up in the draft. Exactly. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. That's going to do it for us tonight. Kind of a longer show for those of you who do not know, we were slated to have Andre Parada, who by the way is a Bengals Twitter favorite Bengals fan, Twitter favorite. He's kind of a, a capologist, a financial guy. And we wanted to talk some numbers about some things he couldn't join us tonight, given the madness Uh, He's got a lot going on, so we will have him back, but unfortunately it just didn't work tonight to have him on, but we will have him on in the future. We have some tentative interviews with some former Bengals players coming up over the next couple of episodes, some pretty big names, and we think you'll be excited about that. So we'll be getting those on the books and getting them on the program. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with us. Thanks for being excited as we are with some of what the Bengals have done over the past couple of days in free agency. We'll keep getting at you more. We'll do some listener questions. We'll do all kinds of things because we've got a lot of time now. So we're going to get you more content. See you next time.